Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to Better Living. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi, continuing our conversation about Brothers Keepers, their website, brothers-keepers.org. I just got done speaking with co-founder John Loudon Slager. We are going to switch to the other co-founder, Jack Fanning. Sir, how are you doing today? How you doing, Nick? What's up? Not much. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming in. We talked to John a lot about kind of just what this organization is and what you guys do. What we're going to talk about is how you got to be a part of this organization and what you were doing before. And also, you know, you're the perfect and best person to talk about what this organization does for the people that are a part of that. So let's just kind of start off with with your background. You were in the military. What were you doing? So I was the Air Force Special Operations Combat Controller uh, for 13 years. Um, came in, in in the late 90s, 97. Uh, kind of got sick and tired of being sick and tired and running around with uh, some of the guys I was running around with. And I was a little bit crazy. Uh, big time into sports, you know, athlete. I'd raced motocross uh, when I was a kid, and I was a, a you know high-level soccer guy. Mm. And but you know I like to party and have fun too. So I, you know I'd get in a little trouble from now, time to time, and uh, like most military guys, so <laughs> I was the perfect candidate to go into special operations because everybody I you know I straightened up you know my act so to speak and went in. To the service and everybody I met in that career field, they were all like me. They're a little bit crazy too, so it was perfect fit. But yeah, I was in there for 13 years before I uh, got hurt on a military freefall jump. So when people think about special operations, to me, they think of you're gonna think of maybe Rangers or Navy SEALs or Delta. I don't think that a lot of people hear about the Air Force and what you guys do, or specifically what your job is. But I've read a little bit about what you guys do, and it's absolutely fascinating. For those that don't know. You guys are you're an air traffic controller essentially for a battlefield. Is that a good way to put it? Yes, we we bring a lot to the table uh, as far as in the special operations community. Uh, we go through two years of training because in our cases where you got your combat controllers and then you have your pararescuemen. And we're quiet professionals. There's not very many of us. My, maybe 400, 450 combat controllers, you know, in the, in the entire Air Force, yes. So uh, you're looking at a small group of folks, but we have a large impact because of the mission set and what we can bring to the table. For the other guys, like the Green Berets, the SEAL teams, uh, we work with the Rangers, and we work with Coal- Coalition Special Ops teams and we get attached to those teams as one individual so you got a 12-man team then they add the air force combat controller and we what we bring to the fight is the uh air to ground interface for that team so 
you're on the ground doing what whatever they're doing kicking in doors uh you know hunting down the terrorist and while they're doing that i might have 13 aircraft overhead and helicopters that i'm controlling so you got to have a three-dimensional thinking it, it's very intense and uh pretty complicated uh, controlled chaos is what we like to call it but so we bring a lot to the fight we specialize in uh you know we're air traffic controllers we go through that school so we we can uh take down an airfield jump in seize the the airfield it might be a dirt strip could be out in the middle of the desert uh we can uh, create a runway with light configurations and then we can sit on it uh, turn the radio on and start landing aircraft and they download different you know uh, assault vehicles or whatever and so since we're good at air traffic control we're also good at close air support which is which is the big ticket right now uh you know ever since 9-11 uh the piece we bring as far as close air support is is phenomenal i mean without that uh we would have never beat the taliban down from so calling in airstrikes for people that are I'm trying to make sure that people still follow us so calling in airstrikes at close proximity at close proximity and we're talking to the plane you know maybe 200 yards from the target. I was going to ask, like, how yeah. far, what would you say is the closest that you actually had ordnance dropped near you that you coordinated? Uh, What's the closest pre- you would get to having a bomb basically dropped on top of you? Pretty sketchy, about 125 meters, <laughs> which, and it. I only had a B-1 bomber to work with. Uh, we kept getting attacked. Um up in Naray Firebase in the the north, the most northeastern part of Afghanistan. We had a little bitty firebase. Nobody had ever even seen Americans up there or helicopters or anything, uh, the, the local populace. But these guys were kept attacking us and kept attacking us and actually got hit by an IED, but uh, I, I got lucky on that one. But they started getting real ballsy and uh, confident and started hitting hitting our our base every night so i just i asked for four hours of aircraft every night and i received it i would get a10s or b1 bombers or, or a gunship uh you know ac-130 gunship and these guys were getting in through the fence line and we had to drop 2,000 pound j dam uh on their asses oh, excuse me but uh <laughs> and I was puckered up. I mean, to to be honest, it it scared the living daylights out of me. But uh, we had to do what we had to do. I'm obsessed with watching YouTube videos of guys that call in airstrikes. You'll be watching these guys just sit there, and it seems very still and very quiet, and then all of a sudden a bomb hits. And the reaction that those guys have to it, seeing the shockwaves come out, the whole bit, it's fascinating. What would, Can you explain the first time actually seeing something like that being blown up? in front of you to see that that concussion the, that force yeah it, first you get the the visual the light and the burning fire coming off of it and then you feel the woof, woof, you know the concussion hit your chest and uh it's pretty exhilarating especially when you take down the those dirty savages that they are you know they've killed a lot of my friends so it's personal to me and uh i 
I enjoyed uh, dropping a 2,000-pound J-Dam on, on them because they deserved it. And uh, But, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's pretty intense. There, there's no – it's hard to explain uh, when so, somebody's shooting at you what that feels like. You know, it's scary. And if people say they're not scared, they're full of it. Of so. all the jobs that you could have had in the Air Force, you said that you were in for a while and then you wanted to go into special operations. What was it about this job specifically that appealed to you? Well, actually, I I had signed up to work on uh, munitions and bombs, which would have sent me to Minot, Dakota, North Dakota, which would have sucked. And uh, luckily, when I was in basic training is when a, a barrel-chested, big old combat chassis guy busted through the door and, said, and popped in a videotape and said, this is a voluntary-only uh, career field if you want to sign up. And I looked on there, and they were riding dirt bikes and jumping out of planes and uh, combat scuba diving and shooting guns and dropping bombs and doing air you know, landing planes, and I raised my hand. I said, that's for me. I didn't even know Special Ops in, uh, was in the Air Force, and a lot of people don't, you know. Um, like I said, there's a small amount of us. So I raised my hand. It's a volunteer only, so they, they say, okay, PT test tomorrow morning, and then you got to swim and run and, do, you know, push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, and, and if you pass, then you go on to the next stage, and that – that's where the two-year pipeline came into effect. Did you make it your first time? From what I have read, a lot of guys wash out the the first couple of times that they attempt to be a part of these these organizations. Did you make it that first time? Were you always a part oh, of this? Oh hell yeah, first time. Oh yeah. <laughs> is that like rare? I said? I was, an, I was is, an athlete. Is my understanding correct? Is that rare? Yeah, there's a there's a high attrition rate uh, in, in that career field. It's all. It's extremely high. I think we started out. Our class was about seventy-five. My initial pre-scuba class, and at the end of the two years, there was four of us. How long were you part of this organization? Uh, thir- thirteen years. Thirteen years. Is that that seems like a really long time? Uh, it, I mean, I would have done twenty, uh, but I've you know got paralyzed on a on a jump, so back in 2010 but no it right now guys are getting they're getting crushed just because the amount of deployments they're doing Mm. uh you know i got friends that are doing 20 30 deployments you know by now all of my friends are retiring right now and like i would have retired this last year and you did six tours i did six yes sir and then i became a they voluntold me to go to north carolina and and be an instructor so i did that for three and a half years was actually a great time but I, to be frank i was itching to get back in the fight uh i wanted to smoke some more bad guys and so i at that point i uh you know volunteered to try out for jsoc the tier one guys and uh they selected me and then i you go through a, a green team process which is about eight eight months uh, of high intense training and at the tail end of that uh with just a couple weeks to go we're doing a pretty um intense sketchy uh military freefall jump called a hey-ho which is high altitude high opening so you you jump out at a very high altitude as as a whole team and then you immediately everybody pulls their chute as soon as you exit and you offset the target 
you know, between 10, 20 miles. And, uh, and so they never see a plane even coming overhead. And uh, you fly with GPS stuff and different things that, that we have uh, as a formation to the target area and land about a mile short, cache your stuff, and then you're off to work. So we do this in the middle of the night because we gain all the advantage at night, and we do it uh, under night vision. So my night vision goggles had come dislodged from my helmet uh, when I uh, pulled the rip cord for the parachute. Had a good parachute. I didn't panic. Uh, yeah, I've had a lot of jumps. And so what I'd do is I'd let go of my steering toggles. I'd grab my night vision because they were dummy corded, of course. We dummy cord everything, meaning it's attached by a string. And uh, put them up to my eyes, found the stack or, or the other guys I was with, and then put them back down where I couldn't see. I'd grab the toggles, keep kind of close to them, but I didn't want to take out one of the other guys. So I stayed a little, just enough where I could see them. And did that about 50 times on the way down because you're in the harness for about 45 minutes when you're offset of the target like that. And uh, got about... What I thought was about 200 feet above the ground to went ahead to lower my rucksack and smack. I hit the ground going full speed, never had the opportunity to hit the brakes. So I flipped over and uh, hit my head and that pushed the C3 over the C4 and instantly paralyzed and it got lodged there. And so I could not, uh, we're on comms the whole time, could not use my arms to call to the team leader that I was down, you know, and... Uh, so I could hear them all looking for me, and that went on for about 20 minutes, and I could feel myself dying, and uh, you know, so I had my talk with God, and um, you know, I said, hey, if, if, if right now is the time, then I, I'm ready, but I'm not ready because I have a wife and son, and I can't do this, so uh, I just forced myself to breathe. I was also getting choked out by my chin strap and i had a collapsed lung my right lung was collapsed so i couldn't breathe so i was doing the the shallow breathing like this i mean uh it was brutal i was awake the whole time and uh so i right before i felt myself going i i asked god if he'd uh let my best friend at the time jason uh find me he was right behind me on on the jump and Within three to five minutes, he found me, and it was him that found me, and then he called for the pararescue men to come over. They started cutting everything off of me and called for the medivac, and then uh, got medivaced, and there just so happened to be a neurosurgeon uh, working that night at the hospital, and that, that's uh, another thing I think, you know, God did, and uh, I didn't know it at the time, but I think he, he kept me alive for a reason put me in this chair so that I could help other veterans and family members. I didn't know that until a couple of years had gone past, you know, after that. Well, I, I think it's a perfect segue into Brothers Keepers. This is right. this is what you're doing with your life now, and you're helping other people. Best sentence on the website, which once again is brothers-keepers.org. The downtime between jumping out of planes and blowing stuff up is where the transformation happens. Excellent sentence. It yes. seems to me that this is exactly what this organization is all about. You're doing extreme, super fun things, jumping out of airplanes, going hunting, white rafting, doing all this stuff. But it 
gives you a lot more than just having an experience. What does the ability to do these things again impart to these people that are part of Brothers Keepers? I like to lead the way on this because I I can't move my arms or legs. So I'm a pretty hard case. I mean, it's rough. I've gone through numerous caregivers, right? It's been a struggle, but I'm also hard-headed. And, you know, being in the special operations community kind of, you know, prepared me for all this. And I can deal with it. And I have been dealing with it. And I, I stay positive every day. I get my ass up and I, and I do something. And a lot of guys are struggling with, with a lot of the stuff they've seen over there and had to do over there. Uh, you know, coming back with missing limbs and just, it, it, you know, war is, is, is ugly. And the, what it can do psychologically to a person, it, it, it's, a, it's a crushing blow. Uh, for me, getting out there and doing fun, extreme stuff, like, was awesome. Like, hey, I can, sh- I can still shoot with my mouth. I got an apparatus where I can go hunting still. Oh, this is cool. And then the, those fo- uh, Task Force Dagger took me on a dive trip. I was like, I can dive as a quad? Are you kidding me? Wow, this is amazing. And then I was like, what? Can I, I wonder if I could jump out of an p- airplane. Well, yeah, you could jump out of an airplane. Uh, people have all these adaptive. You know, I started figuring out that you could do just about anything. It, there's no limitations. It, you just got to have your mind right. So um, then, I, then I realized, hey, man, I can help other guys. Like, And getting out there and doing those things are fun, and that's exciting for a few seconds or minutes or whatever it is that we're doing snow skiing jumping out of planes or whatever but the real magic happens in between that when the families get together because we're all about the family it's the whole family unit that gets hurt not just the veteran and i can i can tell you firsthand everybody's affected and your extended family and your friends when we bring the whole families and they're talking and they they realize hey you've got similar issues that i do you know, you're struggling in, in this department or, you know, thinking this bad thoughts or, you know, my my spouse is doing this and or maybe the spouse or the kids are struggling. And they realize they have similar struggles and they start to open up to one another and they're telling their war stories. But the families are also talking and they're they're telling, hey, how, how do you get through this type of day? Why do this? How do you do, you know? And by the end of it, you're family, and you don't, you've only known them for two or three days. And that's why we say, you know, we're bringing them into the Brothers Keepers family. And it's for life. It's not just this one retreat. So we, we bring them in. The families become tight with us. They become tight with each other. And they realize, hey, man, there's more to life. When you see a five-year-old kid snow skiing with his dad that doesn't have legs, I mean, I'm getting emotional right now just thinking about it. It it's amazing that looking at that kid seeing his dad like, "Wow, you know, my daddy just jumped out of an airplane." You know, I didn't think he could do that. He's in a chair or whatever the case. It, that dynamic is incredible and and then to see the families uh, talk amongst themselves and interact and the healing that goes on with that just being able to bounce ideas off each other and hey i'm struggling so are you hey 
you know, and there's other people out there that care and know what you're going through because they're going through it. So that that's that's what it is, man. And that I mean, it, I just can't explain it. That, you know, all the fun stuff that we do is is awesome, but it, it's the little things, the conversations, and what we take away from that experience is is the magic. What is the thing that you get out of Brothers Keepers the most now? Is it letting guys understand that they still have the ability to do all these great things, or is it building that family? Because since you come in today, you keep on using the word family, about building this family up and making sure that people are included. So for you, what do you get the most joy out of as far as Brothers Keepers is concerned? So me, I I really love putting together these retreats and and Johnny and Tammy and everybody in the organization can can tell you I, I'm a pretty hard case about it. I I, I try to get, do everything myself but because I'm like in control and there's a lot of things in my life where I'm not in control and you know, but I I don't know. It, it's the military coming out of me. So uh, I lo- I love putting together and finding the families, man. Like who? So what I love to do is I'll take a family that I've had on a retreat and I'll say, who do you who do you know that's struggling or who do you know that could use a retreat like this and benefit from it? And then they give me two or three families and then I talk to them and usually. Because everybody else is hard-headed like I am. I have to talk these guys into freaking coming, just showing up. I'm like, you don't understand. It's fun. Come on out, man. You're going to really benefit. And a lot of guys are, uh, you know, retreat. I don't know. I'm like, dude, seriously, you need to come. I'm telling you, get your ass up here, you know. And then we take them first style, man. We have other organizations like Veterans Airlift Command that uh, people donate their private jets. And then pilots donate their times. Uh, it's a nonprofit. They they fly these families for us first class in a in a private jet up to Utah. Like, and I organize all this stuff. It it just about kills me. Uh, because, like right now, you know, we got a retreat coming up in Sunday, and I s- still need to come up with a couple more flights. But I, I've it's been, more coordination. It, it's fun. I mean, this is exactly I, what you did in the military. I, yeah, it's I'm, exactly like you basically are just continuing it, what you were doing in the military exactly, with first keepers. And that that's why it's so much fun to do these retreats. And I'm I'm coordinating all these aircraft to get families to one place, you know, so they can have a good time and just to see them grow and expand and be able to get out of their living room every day and go experience life if they can snow ski at park city and they're paralyzed they can get out of their house and go shopping or go go see a movie with their family or go see a event sporting event or whatever the case may be or just go to the v you know whatever they need to do go hang out they can do it it might take this crazy experience for them to hit it for the for it to sink in that hey I can do a lot of things with my my sons or my daughters or my, my spouse and, and it's also great for the kids and the spouses that are having to be caregivers and they get to release a little bit and 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 they bond and now we have spouses all over the country that are talking in North Texas that have a tight knit you know they got somebody to call or to lean on when they're having issues and the family grows. And the family grows. It we we start out with a, a you know, a ba- a base of a tree, you know, and a, and then it, the tree's getting taller and the branches are branching out and 
and those branches have branches and, and it just keeps going and that it's growing and growing and I'm just so proud of our team uh, brothers keepers you know that that have been involved in doing this and we, it's just we love it so much and and we're in it man I mean we're in it 100% for all these families out there and first responders too not just we're talking a lot of vets but you know we're taking a a, a female police officer Lisa Ramsey uh, up to Utah and she's going to be skiing. She got shot three times, uh, Fort Worth uh, Police Department. And she's still working there behind a desk now, but she's still working. She was like, oh, I want to ski. I'm like, done. And so she's, she's going to be on the ski trip. So we, we support our first responders. Gold Star families, like Johnny was talking about, you know, they're hurting, man. And to have an experience like that with another gold star family i like to bring at least two families mm. uh, they they end up bonding and um like one of our gold star family fathers said uh they're they always carrying around all this heavy luggage and and baggage from you know what happened and when they check into to the retreat they got to set the luggage in the corner and not think about it for a few days. And then he said when he got the luggage back at the end of the retreat, it was a little bit lighter, you know, and that, that was huge. Just, I mean, the impact, man, that we're making on lives is what it's all about. And I, so I love it. I, I want to keep yeah. – I should have just booked an <laughs> it's hour amazing, for you. Yeah. I, I should have booked more time. Unfortunately, we're, we're going to have to wrap it up because you guys do have a big event coming up that uh, I'm going to talk to your sister about. I really, really, really appreciate you telling your story. I appreciate you coming in here today. I appreciate all the work that you're doing for for everybody else but yourself. And uh, I can't thank you enough for being a part of this show. It really means a lot to me. Jack Fanning is the co-founder of Brothers Keepers. Their website, brothers-keepers.org. Do me a favor and just promise that you'll come back so we can keep talking. I'd love to come back anytime. Appreciate it, brother. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.